Hello and welcome to Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruit, you need the roots. So today we're joined by Linda Yu, the author of The Great Economist, How Their Ideas Can Help Us Today. So today we're going to talk about um, Linda's book and focusing on different um, influential economists from the past and how they can help us today. So during these times of massive change, who better to look than economists, past, present and future, to help us understand where our economy is heading. So Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks again. So yeah, Linda, so first of all, your book looks amazing. So tell us what, why you decided to write about the great economists um, on the past and yeah, which, and tell us, tell us more about essentially your writing process. I was very interested in seeing if we could learn from history. So we face a number of challenges in the 21st century. We have rising inequality. We have slowing growth. We have concerns about sustainability. We have concerns also um, after a financial crisis. I think that's really raised questions around whether or not our current economic system works as well as it should for um, the 21st century. So... These are huge, huge questions. And yeah. it seemed to me that um, Mark Twain was right. Um, yeah. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Yeah. So there have been previous episodes in history yeah. um, where there have been massive bank crashes, uh, high levels of income inequality, um, concerns about our standards of living, um, all of those um, issues. Um, I thought if I could look to the past, I could try and find some potential ways forward for our present. And then once you start to do that, you don't just look at issues and solutions. Yeah. You have to look at the people who came up with those. And that's when I started focusing on great economists. And so the book is actually really, every chapter is a standalone chapter. Okay. And it focuses on one big challenge, um, the great economists and those who followed, um, who um, had ideas around how we could resolve it. And then actually... Every chapter actually starts with a biography, so okay. you get a sense of economic history for about two hundred fifty years um, through looking at the biography some, some of some you know really influential and fascinating people. Fantastic. So why did you? I, I looked at your book; it's on Amazon at the moment. So why did you choose these these people in that that you decide to go with with a book? What made you decide on each each case? It's very hard to whittle down such a case, but I focused on the great economists whose work um, looked at entire economic systems, how they grow, how they develop, what makes them um, equitable. So I start with the economists who had the seminal idea. So the economists that began growth models is Robert Solo, David Ricardo, the father of international trade. So that's how I... um, chose them but within every chapter i also look at the ways in which their ideas have been refined um, from you know two and a half centuries ago um and the ways in which the concepts have changed so there's also a lot of other economists um in every chapter as well so who would be the the most important economist from the past what would you say would be number one i would say that when you look at who the who started the subject of economics, it would have to be Adam Smith. So his book, The Wealth of Nations, published in 1776, remains the text that um, economists look to um, for concepts like 
uh, how the market works through the invisible hand. Yeah. So that's supply and demand, setting yeah. prices and quantities. And it's a very wide-ranging book. It's a very general book, which yeah. is the other thing these great economists share in common, which is they looked at entire systems. They yeah. weren't just narrowly focusing on one market. They were looking also at what it means to trade. They were yeah. looking at um, the effects on workers through industrialization. So yeah. um, all of those things you'll find in The Wealth of Nations. So, and Adam Smith's work yeah. really launched economics during the Industrial Revolution when economics became interesting. Yeah, I'm um, a big fan of Adam Smith. And I, I like that the book is focusing on how the person can learn today. So Adam Smith talks about a pin factory, how one person being specialised in one area can essentially be more efficient than um, having lot th that same person doing lots of different tasks. So by specialising in each different part. So even in my business today, I kind of make sure I batch my production so I can kind of make it more essentially more efficient as what Adam Smith talked about. But his I, his moral sentiment, the book before, was actually even more, for me, was more kind of um, influential, how essentially he's talking about um, we as humans are all kind of selfish, but we actually, in our nature, we um, we are actually, um, in our, we, we have interest in other people because, and that essentially makes us happy. So I thought moral sentiment, his book before Wealth of Nations was actually, um, for me, was quite impactful. But yeah, tell, tell me more about other people and essentially how, how you can see people influencing today. So I guess I'm thinking about the person listening at home. They think maybe this guy's written his book in the 17th century, but how can that person essentially, how, how can someone today listening, can how can they be influenced in their life? So when you look at the lessons from history, um, yeah. I mentioned earlier the Mark Twain quote. Yeah. It's never going to be exactly the same circumstance, but okay. to give one example, um, you know whether or not inequality is too high, that yeah. was something the late Victorians dealt with. So I write about Alfred Marshall in yeah. the book. Um, wages being too low, yeah. um, the theory behind that actually came from the 1930s, which okay. was dedicated to the Great Depression yeah. after the last systemic banking crisis before the one that we had 10 years ago. Yeah. So looking at the start of such a big issue, um, how people in history dealt with it. So inequality was brought down substantially through the middle part of the 20th century. Yeah. How did they do that? What were the lessons and how can we apply those today? Yeah. Similarly, with wages being too low, you're looking at what happened um, in the 1930s, which then eventually led to the golden age of growth in the yeah. 50s and 60s, which were the strongest period of average income growth um, in, you know, in the economy around the world. Yeah. So I think those are the ways you can learn from from history um, and the ideas of those of, who um, came up with um these insightful um, concepts yeah. and the policies they tried, the policies that failed, and try to see um, how those ideas have been refined through okay. time um, and the ones of which could still uh, help us today. And there's, and I found, um, you know, there were quite a few of them. In fact, every chapter um, yeah. has issues which we're still dealing with today. Do trade deficits matter? Should the government rebalance the economy? Um, yeah. Do we ever learn from financial crises? Is yeah. inequality inevitable? These are all questions we're still dealing with. Okay, interesting. So I, you meant you also talk about Karl Marx in your book, and he's often portrayed, even in the media today, as kind of a controversial figure. But he's obviously very influential. So maybe 
tell me more about why you included Marx uh, in, in your book and maybe say why he's helped people today. Well, Karl Marx is the father of Marxism, which yeah. is really the basis, the idea behind communism. So yeah. his influence through history was considerable. So Marx was a German economist who... What Germany had experienced industrial revolution later than Britain, but when it came to Germany, Marx rejected um, how Adam Smith and the classical economists saw the industrial revolution. Yeah. He thought that it would generate exploitation, yeah. inequality, and people would want to have a more egalitarian society. So that thinking eventually, by the early part of the 20th century, led to about... 60% of the world's population living in either socialist or communist regimes. Yeah. And it really wasn't until the end of the Cold War, so the end of the 1980s, that it seemed that communism, at least, um, wasn't a model that um, you know was bringing about um, better living standards for people. Yeah. So his ideas, just like a number of other ones that I have in there, so Friedrich Hayek, who is yeah. very free market, yeah. all the way on the other side of the spectrum, um, their influence through history was, you know, was apparent, and some version of what it is that they were um, proposing or implementing or arguing for yeah. um, still persists to this day. The Chinese economy, second biggest in the world, is still yeah. run by a communist political system, yeah. which followed um, the Soviet system, which obviously followed the Marxist system um, yeah. in the 1950s, at least. So you still see how the influence of those through history um, can be felt today. But you know, we can. There's also lessons in the book about yeah. what's worked and what hasn't, and. The end of the Cold War told us that uh, market-based economies bring about more prosperity um, than, um, you know, than the system that Marx had advocated. But, you know, as a matter of, um, you know, being a significant figure in history, uh, Karl Marx certainly was that. Yeah, interesting. And I, I guess London was a very different place when Karl Marx was writing his book. It was in the 1860s. It was like where Charles Dickens was kind of uh, writing and uh, the conditions of the time must have been pretty horrific. You think of Oliver Twist and Christmas Carol. Um, so it, a, a very kind of different time. But that that's interesting that you're saying it, it, his work has kind of led on to communism, etc. So, you know, that's that's interesting. So uh, tell me more about kind of. So we talked maybe about the past and we talk about the present. Where do you see kind of economists going in the future? Where do you see what kind of policies are we thinking about that can actually, you mentioned inequality, which is obviously a massive topic at the moment. Um, yeah, how can economists improve, kind of, yeah, reduce inequality? Where do you see policymakers improving things for people today? Well, I think one of the overriding lessons from the book is that um, economics has always been a battle of ideas. Yeah. And the battles are more fierce when economic consensus breaks down. Yeah. And we saw, we saw that through history. Um, I mentioned um, the split between market economies and communist systems yeah. in the early part of the 20th century. And I think at present, we are also facing a breakdown in the economic consensus. There's a dissatisfaction with the way that the market economy has worked. Yeah. People are looking for alternatives. Yeah. Um, 
And it's during these times where I think you can draw on the ideas um, and the evidence and the lessons from what's come um, before and try and see if there's a way to forge a new consensus um, to learn from the past and argue for the kind of economic system um, that would work for the 21st century, one that's more equitable, one that's more sustainable, one that has, um, you know, in the very same way um, that we've seen this throughout history, the creation of the welfare state in the early 20th century, that's very different than what the capitalist system was in the 19th century. So all of these things, change comes about. um, And I think that's where the the subject has always been subject to change, subject to a battle between economists in terms of ideas. And I think the current period um, is a another time when people are looking for another system. And yeah. I think that's why it's um, even more important to learn from history, what's worked, what hasn't, and, yeah. um, and then develop your own ideas based on that as to the system that you like to, um, economic system that you like to live in going yeah. forward. So you mentioned an interesting point about sustainability, and we we now if the environmental crisis is it's it's becoming more and more relevant, and we realise we're living in a, a finite planet. Does the supply and demand model still is it still relevant today, even if we're on a finite planet with climate change and li- resources that are being used up? What, where do you see economists helping moving forward to kind of help solve? the environmental problems that we're seeing at the moment? The Nobel Prize in Economics, which is the highest prize, um, was actually won last year by um, two economists. One of them was William Nordhaus, who incorporated the importance of the environment, sustainability, into economic growth models. Yeah. So systems which are premised on scarcity. Um, yeah. So the planet is... It's a scarce, it's a valuable resource. So how you grow, the quality of your growth is something that, um, you know, is incorporated, is increasingly discussed. And, um, and I think that is one of the, uh, one of the main challenges we have going forward alongside, um, you know, some of the other um, issues, but certainly supply and demand tells you that something which is scarce and valuable, like the planet. Um, needs to be looked after better. Yeah. Is there any models that we're heading toward? So for me, GDP model seems kind of crazy that we're still using this kind of GDP model in a finite world. Is there other ways we can, yeah, move move forward using the UN seventeen goals is a good one, or maybe um, I know some countries. I think Brunei, uh, Brunei is it uh, another country use a happiness index. Um, whereas they essentially focus on happiness rather than kind of progress. It seems like, um, for me, it seems like an archaic system that where everything's measured against GDP. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, you'll have to read chapters, uh, I think, one and two in the book. Okay. Which looks a lot at GDP and focuses on the things that we don't measure well. But this is a pretty, you know, it's a pretty robust debate, and rightly so, yeah. uh, what it is. It's not that pace of growth, which we do care about, but yeah. it's the quality of growth. Okay. And how you measure that is absolutely absolutely key. Yeah, exactly. How we measure progress is is definitely something that 
um, yeah, is important today. One of the other chapters you talk about, um, Shampita, is that pronounced right? But he's uh, essentially, um, I, in my book, Millennial Money Mindset, if you want the fruits, you need the roots. In one of the chapter six, I talk about how he's um, uses the, the entrepreneur as the kind of hero of the the, um, the econ- economic cycle, where essentially they're looking for moving, um, grow, look, moving from resources in the low environment to a kind of a higher environment to kind of um, offer value. So, yeah, I think Schumpeter is a great um, example of kind of an economist that can essentially look at where we can solve problems and where we can actually um, look at things to improve. What? Tell me more about that chapter and why you included um, um, that economist. Well, he's a good economist to end on because a lot mm. of his ideas are very forward-looking. So. Yeah. That chapter is called, is around what drives innovation. So Schumpeter did a range of books. Um, Actually, his best known book is actually about the economic system, which is, um, you know, called um, Capitalism, Socialism and Democracy. But his best known idea is creative destruction. So this idea that firms compete, firms um, innovate, and the fit ones survive. And I think that's something that very much as we look towards um, another era of tremendous changes in technology and robotics and all of these things. Yeah. Um, it's worth learning the lessons from how the great economists, um, you know, helped craft yeah. um, policies and thinking around the introduction of massive changes in technology and in the Industrial Revolution, yeah. in, um, computing, and, you know, what we can learn from those periods of technological disruption, I think, um, is very important as we now look at another era of massive digital technological disruption, automation, AI, all of these things will change the way we live. And they certainly have done so in the past. Ah, exciting times. Yeah, I I realise you're you're short on time, so um, you're busy. So Thank you so much for joining us, Linda. Um, so, Linda, if, if someone was listening and they want to buy your book, w- w- tell me more about that, if they can find you in some of your speaking events that you're, you're going to be at. Perhaps you want to uh, let the listener know. Well, thanks very much. Um, so my website, uh, which is lindayu.com, L-I-N-D-A-Y-U-E-H.com, um, has details of my book. It has details of my upcoming uh, public speaking events. And it's also got... Um, audio clips of the book and, uh, and, you know, and various things um, on it that I've done um, on The Great Economist, how their ideas can help us today since it's been out. Yeah. So I hope it's of interest. And you've written I was, eight, or, eight or nine other books or, and you've got yeah, some amazing um, career history. Um, so, yeah, please um, check Linda out. So, Linda, let's thank, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Um, and yeah, everything. So thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, please check out Linda's book. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you. Take care, Linda. Thanks again. Cheers. Bye. Bye.